You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing our series through the book of Romans. We've taken a break from Romans for the last six weeks as we've been looking at what it means to put on Christ. But this morning we're going to be diving right back into Romans. We're going to pick up where we left off in Romans chapter 14. If you're using one of those red Bibles underneath a seat near you, we're going to be on page 1007. And then if you're using version, everything is on there as well. We had some technical difficulties this morning. So if you looked earlier, uh, the verses were not there, or the event was not there on version. But I got it fixed now, and it's up there. So everything is on version as well. And then we'll have some of the verses here on the screen too. We're looking at Romans chapter 14. We're going to be picking up in the first verse here. Romans 14 verse 1 says, Except anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or he falls. And he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat it. And he gives thanks to God. Verse 7 says, For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If, if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. Will you bow your heads as we pray this morning? Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have today. Lord, to hear from your word, to hear from you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open our minds and ears to hear your voice today. That you would reveal yourself to us through your word this morning. Lord, may we leave here changed today, not because of anything I've said, but because of everything that you've said, because of who you are and the redeeming work that you're doing in the lives of each and every one of us, Lord. What we know not teach us, what we see not show us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, throughout all of history, there's been this major struggle within the Christian church between both unity and diversity. Unity and diversity, these two characteristics seem to always exist within God's church. Since the time that Christ walked on the earth until today, there's always been and probably always will be factors of both unity and diversity within the church. And that's exactly the focus point of our text here in Romans this morning. When we were last in Romans, we saw Paul talking about the importance of loving 
your neighbor as yourself. And then we read where Paul told the Romans, make no provision for your flesh to gratify your sinful desires, but instead put on Christ. Clothe yourself in Christ Jesus, Paul encouraged us. It was out of this command from God's word, this charge from Paul, that we as a church have spent the last six weeks looking at and examining what it means to put on Christ. If you've missed any of those sermons or you weren't able to join us, I would encourage you to go back, listen to each of those messages or watch them online and really see what it means to put on Christ. Our Put on Christ series was a very helpful tool to show what it looks like to die to yourself and die to the ways of the world and really live for Jesus. Now, as you may have already observed from the examples that Paul has given in our text here today, the Christians in Rome are not battling over major doctrinal issues. They're not waging war over the topics that are central to salvation. These are trivial matters. They might as well be arguing over the color of the carpet or the type of coffee the church is serving in the lobby. I don't know how else to put it. These guys are pretty much just kind of nitpicking one another, judging one another on their personal preferences. And Paul, in the nicest possible way, is basically telling them, knock it off. Stop it, guys. The main point that Paul is trying to get across to the church here in Rome, and the main point of our text here today, is that all believers should welcome and accept their fellow believers. All believers should welcome and accept their fellow believers. We, we see that command, we see that charge from Paul in the opening verse of our text today. Romans 14.1 said, Welcome anyone who is weak in the faith. But don't argue about disputed matters. Paul is calling on the church to welcome their fellow brothers and sisters, regardless of how strong or weak they are in the faith. Now, in light of this charge, from Paul, to welcome all believers. He outlines three reasons why we as Christians should welcome, should accept our fellow believers in Christ. The first reason is because all of us want to honor God. I mean, don't we? Don't all Christians want to honor God? Paul recognizes that every Christian seeks to honor God. Each one of us has a desire to please and to honor the Lord. In fact, the disputes going on here in the Roman church they're all centered around, and they're coming out of their desire to please God and to honor him. Now, we don't know how many different arguments they were having. There could have been 20, 30, we don't know. We don't know what all of the issues were between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. But here in our text today, Paul does share two issues, or, or two examples, rather, of what the early church was fighting over here in Rome. They were fighting over dietary issues, and they were fighting over the Sabbath. Look again with me at verses 2 through 6. Let's just read it one more time so it's fresh on our minds. Verse 2 says, One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat must not judge the one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord he stands or falls. And he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. And someone else judges that every day is the same. 
Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat. And in that, he gives thanks to God. So within these verses, Paul gives us two examples of what the Roman Christians are arguing over. The first is dietary issues, right? The Jewish Christians are frustrated that the Gentile Christians are eating meat that has been sacrificed before pagan idols. This food issue has gone way beyond the clean, unclean, can-I-eat-bacon situation that we talked about a few weeks ago. Many Bible scholars agree that the topic that Paul is addressing here is the consumption of meat that's been sacrificed by the pagans living in Rome. The Jewish Christians want nothing to do with any of that. Many, if not all of them, believe that as Christians, we shouldn't go anywhere near that meat. They shouldn't smell it, they shouldn't look at it, they shouldn't even touch it, let alone eat it. The Gentile believers, on the other hand, really don't understand what the big deal is. In their minds, the pagan gods don't exist. So whatever was done to the meat in order to please or satisfy a false god really doesn't mean anything to them. As far as they're concerned, the unbelieving people in Rome just own fancy-looking grills. And now they're selling the food that they cooked at a discount. So with the inflation going on in Rome, why shouldn't the Christians take advantage of this fancy-cooked meat that's now being sold around in the marketplace? Who, who doesn't love low prices? Ironically, this wasn't just an issue in Rome. The same problem is actually going on in Corinth as well. If you look in 1 Corinthians, you'll see Paul address the same issue of food sacrificed to idols. It's in his letter to the Corinthian church that Paul points out not only the fact that there is only one God, but he also reminds the Corinthian believers that while they have the freedom to partake in these foods, it might not be the best idea, as it can cause their brothers and their sisters to stumble in their own faith. 1 Corinthians 10.23, Paul says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything's permissible, but not everything builds up, he says. When it comes to issues like this, we have to ask ourselves, is my behavior helping my brothers and sisters, or is it more of a stumbling block for them? The second issue that Paul brings up here, that he shares with us, is about the Sabbath, right? At least it appears that way. I don't think the church here in Rome is arguing over Taco Tuesday. I mean, that's an important day, and I think we as Christians all agree to that. But this issue is about more than that. This is a dispute about the Sabbath. In verses 5 through 6, Paul says, One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one of us be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. Here we see the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians arguing over the importance of the Sabbath. Now, I know the Sabbath is more important than coffee. The Jewish Christians are stressing the importance of honoring the Sabbath. They, they, they know it's important to honor the Sabbath and to keep that day set aside as holy. It's part of the Ten Commandments, right? The Gentile Christians, on the other hand, are pushing back. Because in their mind, 
since God is sovereign over all of creation, they see every day is holy. For them, every day is holy. As far as they're concerned, every day is sacred. Each day belongs to the Lord, including the Sabbath. Now, as we established earlier, none of the two issues here that Paul addresses are major doctrinal issues, right? Rather, they're kind of preferential issues. The Roman believers are not arguing over whether or not Christ has always existed. They're they're not going to blows over the inerrancy of God's word, of Scripture. They're not discussing the perseverance of the saints or, or even end times issues. The church, rather, is being divided over smaller things. And Paul is encouraging from them for the sake of unity, they need to prioritize God's people over their own preferences. In the end, the primary goal that both parties are seeking here is to honor the Lord. We see that in verse 6. Verse 6 says, whoever observes the day observes it for what? For the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, he eats for the Lord since he gives thanks to God. And whoever doesn't eat, well, that's for God too. That's for the Lord that he does not eat. And he gives thanks because of it. So the first thing I showed you was that we all want to honor God. And said so in light of that, that we should all welcome and accept our fellow believers because they just want to honor God the same way we want to honor God. The second thing that Paul points out, if you're taking notes, is that we all belong to God. We're all his. We saw that in verses 7 through 9. Paul says, none of us lives for himself. No one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or or we die, we belong to the Lord. Why? Because Christ died and returned to life for this. That he might be the Lord over both the dead and over the living. As Christians, we are servants of God. The Bible is packed with verses that show how as believers, our lives are not our own. But rather, they belong to God. That's what it means to put on Christ. If you were here for that series, you know that. It means to die to yourself and to live for God. We, we saw that a few weeks ago in Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, right? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. who loves me and gave himself for me. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, then we die for the Lord. Christ died and returned to the earth so that he might be Lord over both the living and over the dead. As Christians, we know that. It's pretty fundamental, right? We, we know that. As believers, we hold dear to that promise. We know that Christ gave his life as a ransom for many. He was crucified and resurrected to redeem his chosen people. We're going to celebrate that with the Lord's Supper today. Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If this is your first time hearing this, or if you've not yet surrendered your life over to Christ, if you've not put to death your sinful ways, guys, now is the time. If you're tired of living for yourself and you want to live for Christ, come talk to me or text our church phone number and let's have a conversation about what it means to belong to God and experience the new life that is only 
found in Christ. As Christians, we all want to honor God. Everything we do comes out of a heart of wanting to please him and serve him because we belong to him. As Christians, we belong to the Lord, and as a result, we should welcome, we should accept, we should be kind to our faithful brothers and sisters. So regardless of how weak or how strong your brothers and sisters are in the faith, God's word is clear. His word instructs us to welcome them, to accept them, because in the end, what happens? We're all going to be judged by God. That's the third thing I want us to see this morning, that we're all judged by God. It's the third thing that Paul shares with us in our text this morning. If you look with me at verse 10, he says, But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. We don't need to worry about judging one another. Because in the end, it's God who judges us. In the end, all of mankind, every one of us is going to be judged by God. It's not our job. It's not our obligation to judge our brothers and sisters. Remember, the, the issues that Paul are addressing here in Romans, they're not sin issues. They're personal issues. Even if they were sin issues, it's not us, to us to judge our brothers and sisters. It's up to God. James 4.11 reminds of a, us of this. James 4.11 says, Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? When it comes to our sin issues, God is the ultimate judge. As our elementary kids have been learning in our Sunday morning class hour, the judge what? The judge judges justly. Throughout our text today, we've seen a call to mutual acceptance among both the weak and the strong believers. The strong, Paul says, look down on or they despise their weaker brothers and sisters. The picture that Paul's painting, the idea here is disdain. There's a human tendency always to despise whatever or whoever we consider weaker than ourselves. The boy who can run faster, who can jump higher, who can lift more, despises the one who cannot. To despise the Christian who is struggling in their faith because they want to honor God differently than you do, an attitude like that is not Christian. So now what? What does this all mean? Why does this matter for us today? How do we tie all of this together? How does what we've read this morning really apply to our own lives today? As far as I know, meat eating 
is not an issue in the church today. Half the men in this church own smokers, grills, griddles, and I think their wives are happy for it, right? <laughs> but there are many issues that still plague the church, and they cause a division among God's people in a similar manner to the issues here in the New Testament church. I'm sure you can think of a few examples. Just this week as I was looking through this text and praying through it and meditating on it, I thought of a few examples. What are some examples that divide our church or divide the church today? How about movies and television? What shows or, or movies are you watching? Many of us judge our brothers and sisters based on the shows they enjoy on TV or the movies that they go and see. A perfect example is found in the video that Pastor Brian posted just a week ago, I think it was, just a few days ago for Redeeming Life Q&A. He posed the question, should Christians watch The Chosen? And boy, howdy, does that have some views. It was up to almost 200 just yesterday. How about alcohol? There's a tough one, right? There are many Christians who believe that drinking alcohol is a sin. These Christians believe that Jesus turned water to welches. <laughs> and while the Bible clearly states we're not to become drunk with wine, there are many who would say, let's not even let it touch our lips. Let's not even run that risk. Don't even go near it. Tobacco? We don't really see an issue with that out here in the West that much. Depending on where you live in North America, consuming tobacco products is either frowned upon or it's just accepted as, you know, basically the norm. Even so, in recent years, I feel like our Reformed brothers are taking up cigar smoking and pipe smoking, and it's become more popular with those guys. Dancing. I grew up at a church where you were not allowed to dance. Many churches frown on dancing. How about Bible translations? <laughs> There are a lot of people that hold to the King James Version being the Lord's official translation. That's their preference, though. There's another group of people, it seems like, are arising up today of ESV only -ists. And that's the only translation we can use. Which translation is right? Which translation is okay? Which ones are acceptable? Why are there so many? We all have our preferences. What about music? What about the worship songs that we sing? I recently shared an article on my social media about the state of Christian music today and the condition of some of the so-called Christian artists played on the radio today. There are those that love Christian radio, and they turn it on every time they're in the car. Then there are others that say, we should never listen to Christian radio because some of the songs played on the radio are coming out of churches that are preaching heretical doctrines. Coffee shops? I've seen Christians get berated for the logo that's on the cup of coffee that they're drinking out of. By their brothers and sisters. The list of our preferences, the list of our partialities concerning the Christian life, they're endless, right? We could come up with an endless list of, of what our preferences are. We all have our own opinions. We all have our own kind of desires in these areas. However, regardless of what our opinions are, regardless of what our preferences are, based on what we just read here from Romans 14, 
wherever you stand on these issues, you must accept your brothers and sisters whose opinions are different than yours. If you're an abstainer, you must not judge the participator. If you're going to participate in these things, you cannot disdain the abstainer. This call to acceptance comes as a command of God to us. If we're going to obey him, if we're going to honor him like we all want to do, we simply do not have a choice in this matter. The answer is clear. All believers should welcome and accept their fellow believers, regardless of how weak or how strong in the faith they are. Once again, just so we're clear, we're not talking about the basic tenets of our faith. I want to make sure that's crystal clear this morning. We're specifically talking about issues that are non-essential to our salvation. Believe it or not, it is possible for us as Christians to disagree on these non-essentials and still be living within the will of God. The key, this is the key to knowing if you're living according to God's will. Do you want to hear it? Do you want to know how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're living according to God's will? If the Holy Spirit convicts you of something and the Lord presses upon your heart that something is wrong within your life, don't do it. Even, and this is the tricky part, even if you witness other Christians in the world around you participating in it. If the Holy Spirit tells you specifically not to do anything, don't do it. Period. Overall, the problem that Paul is addressing in our text this morning, and the issue that we as Christians still face today, is the battle between the freedom that is found in Christ and the yoke of the law. We talked about that yoke a couple weeks ago. These New Testament Christians were not troubled by questions of doctrine, but they were plagued by doubt concerning their faith. The Jewish Christians were holding on to the customs, holding on to the traditions of the law, not in an effort to be divisive with their Gentile brothers and sisters, but rather their behavior came out of a sense of religious obligation and commitment to God. The Gentile Christians were exhibiting the freedom from such practices, that believers in Christ may enjoy. There's a certain freedom or Christian liberty that exists for the believer as a result of the redemptive and restorative work that Christ accomplished on the cross. As a result, when it comes to essential doctrines, we must have unity. We have to have unity when it comes to the tenets of our faith. But in the non-essentials, we may enjoy liberty in Christ in those things. And in everything, we must show charity to others. All believers should welcome and accept their fellow believers regardless of how weak or strong in their faith they are. We must hold fast to our convictions. The truth of God's word matters. John 14, 6 says that Jesus was and is the way the truth, and the life. 1 Timothy 3.15 says the church itself is the pillar and the buttress of truth. We must hold tightly to the truth of God's word. I'm not saying we go out into the world with this attitude of you're okay, I'm okay, we're all just okay. 
Because the world is not okay. If our brothers, if our sisters in Christ are disobeying God's commandments, and they're going against his instructions, the Bible is clear. We have to confront them. We have to call them out on that. Titus 3, 9 through 10 says, avoid foolish debates. We've seen that in our text today. Avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, disputes about the law, because they are unprofitable and they're worthless. Verse 10 says, reject a divisive brother after a first and second warning, for you know that such a person has gone astray, and he is sinning, and he is self-condemned. James 5, 19 and 20 says, Brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, man, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. In Luke 17, Jesus says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. But if he repents, forgive him. And here's the tricky part. He says, if he sins against you seven times in a day and then comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. In addition to our convictions, we have to exercise compassion. In addition to our zeal for the truth, we have to show love and kindness to one another. I recently read this quote by Nathan Knight. Nathan Knight is a pastor and an author who said this, to be compassionate means to suffer together. It's not enough to have conviction. We must model the love of Christ by having conviction and compassion. If you only have conviction, he says, you'll be tempted to steamroll people. But if you only have compassion, you'll suffer with others and not towards the truth. Brothers and sisters, social media is full of convicted Christians who want to blast others who do not agree with them or who are weaker in their faith than they are. This behavior is not okay. It's not acceptable, and it's contrary to the word of God. What the world needs today is a people of God who are filled with both conviction and compassion, a community of believers who will love one another, who will build up each other, and who will together seek the Lord and live unashamedly for Him. At the end of the day, each one of us is at a different place in the Christian journey than those who are around us. Who are we to judge one another based on the condition of their faith? It's hard to accept someone. It's hard to love someone if you're always inclined to pass judgment over simple disputable matters. Church, we're better than that. Regardless of where our brothers or sisters are in Christ, regardless of where they are in their own walk with God, regardless of how strong or how weak they are in the faith, God's word is clear. We are to love one another. After all, we all get by with a little help from our friends. God's word is plain, and his instructions are evident. God's word instructs us to accept and welcome our fellow believers in Christ. What does it mean to accept them? It means to welcome them with open arms. It means to welcome them with your whole heart. The question we have to ask ourselves is this. Are we willing to be a church like that? 
Are we willing to lay aside our personal preferences in order to build up and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for the example that you give us from your word. Lord, all, all we want to do is honor you. All we desire is to serve you. Lord, help us be a people that don't despise one another, who don't look down on our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, just like your word says, help us to be iron that sharpens other iron. If our brothers and sisters are sinning against us, help us call, have the boldness to call them out on that. Help us to be a people that have both characteristics of compassion and conviction. Let us not be wishy-washy in our faith. Let us not just allow sin to blatantly be evident in the lives of our brothers and sisters or in our own lives. But Lord, help us to be a people who stand on your word, who stand on the truth of your word, who are bold in their faith to proclaim your word to a world who says it's foolishness. Help us to remember that every day is holy, Lord, and that every day belongs to you. Help us to serve you with our entire heart, with all that we are. Help us to glorify you in all that we say, all that we do, all that we watch on TV, all that we consume, both physically and in our minds as well. I thank you that we're all in different places on our Christian journey. I thank you that we have the opportunity to help one another, to build one another up. And I pray that we, as a church, we, as Redeeming Life, would be an example to others about what it means to serve you wholeheartedly today. It's in your precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.